Whether it's Kroger Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Kroger has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Kroger, fresh for everyone. My name is Tracy Ariel, and I am unapologetically Canadian. Hey, Tracy Ariel here, and this is the first week of October, and uh, October 4th uh, as I record this. And uh, basically, this week you can't help but know that the government definitely. Politics definitely matters this week. Uh, the government just announced that they were changing. Uh, they were, as Montreal goes into almost lockdown again, we're in the red zone. Uh, it's not 100% lockdown, but close enough. Um, all, they're still leaving the schools open. They're leaving the gyms open. They're leaving uh, the malls open. But uh, all restaurants have to deliver now. And uh, you're only, there's no gatherings allowed anymore. They're giving police special powers to be able to stop gatherings and if they're happening uh, every indoor place you have to wear a mask and they're asking you to eliminate anything that's not necessary so not a hundred percent confinement but close uh, so that's one way that the government definitely affects our lives uh, the other way the um, they changed the CERB which is the uh, if you're a creator and a business person like I am, then you don't fit into any unemployment uh, system. So they have a system where you can actually sign up uh, for a maximum of 26 weeks. Uh, you have to be open to getting any job that's offered to you. You have to be actively looking for a job. They've actually combined the CERB into the unemployment system uh, to try and uh, prevent some of the abuse that I guess they felt was happening in the previous uh, no holds barred serb. Uh, um, the rules are a little bit tighter, but obviously, if you don't have a job because of COVID, it will still uh, give you a little bit of extra financing. So that is definitely a way that the government is helping us at the moment. Uh, the other thing that's happening this week, of course, uh, I have uh, everybody in the family is going off pumpkin picking and apple picking, and uh, this is the big uh, harvest now. Uh, the markets are moving into the greenhouse this week. Uh, we're doing a lot of extra work to try and make them safe for everybody. Uh, I'm going to definitely be putting a filter into my mask this week so that uh, I can be protected too. And uh, we're just basically, I guess the word of the week is flexible. Be flexible because uh, you have to actually respond and keep your business going despite some pretty heavy uh, trauma this time. Uh, on the uh, community side, uh, there's a lot of organizations that are doing their annual general meetings by Zoom. Uh, there's a lot of people who are doing training by Zoom. So depending on what you're looking, whether you want to get actively involved in a group in your neighborhood or whether you want to get training or, and basically most of the socializing is going to be online now. So uh, I'm pretty lucky because it was my birthday last week and my husband gave me uh, some lights so that on Zoom meetings I will no longer have shiny foreheads or um, be in the dark. 
uh, he got lights and he installed them for me on my desks and it, they even can change colors so I can actually uh, change uh, color change the color that I am if I want to get someone's attention <laughs> I think it's gonna be really fun to play and uh, I guess that's the kind of world we're in these days it's uh, everything is online all the time uh, which is why I'm outside now I'm giving every opportunity to go outside and I suggest you do the same despite the uh, frosty weather here in Montreal it's um well it was five degrees when I woke up this morning it's now up to about nine and I think it's supposed to get up to 15 today we still haven't had a frost or not a heavy frost anyway and uh, so um, yesterday I picked raspberries and uh, lots of uh, raspberries tomatoes kale yeah still cooked tomatoes ground cherries the ground cherries will last even after the frost I think um, onions uh, lots of things still in the garden now uh, and uh, I'm really looking forward to a very busy farmers week uh, this week as well so I hope that you have a great week as well uh, now we'll go on to the interview this week I'm interviewing Mary Sutherland who is a genealogist uh, she's part of the genealogy ensemble group and if you want to read I'll put the uh, link to the genealogy ensemble web website uh, at the base of this uh, video so that you can go and check it out uh, also, you can see Mary's uh, articles there. Her family's been in Montreal for a long time, so it's really fun reading about the first farmer in Montreal, reading about uh, the history of NDG, the history of uh, Westmount, the history of the West Island. Uh, Mary is a fascinating person, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Hi, Tracy. Have you found that the, uh, that the uh, quarantine has affected you very much, Mary? Well, just for uh, grocery shopping, Though this morning I went to La Salle, to the Provigo, to pick up an order, and it was actually only three items I didn't get, which other times I've gone and picked things up, and you only got a third of what you ordered. Yeah, I think most of the grocery stores now have sort of uh, uh, changed their ordering so that people can actually get what they need. Um, yeah. it, it does seem to be more reliable. Everybody's been, it's taken us a while to adapt to this, I think, all the businesses. But we've had... Um, a number of our neighbors have volunteered to go and shop for us, but even they, you know, you never know what they're going to buy when you tell them what you want. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, it's true, because the shelves are are bizarrely empty in some areas and really, really full. Like the the tuna was completely gone, but there were tons of cans of salmon, for example. Apparently, tuna is much more popular than salmon. <laughs> Yeah, so if you went, if you actually went in the store, you could see and you could decide what you wanted. But when you're telling somebody, and then they don't know what you might want, and yeah, yeah, you sort of have to give them a list with a whole bunch of alternates. Alternate. <laughs> <laughs> it is, and we've been doing the farmers market. Of course, now we've just started it, doing it by um, by uh, virtual orders, and people keep asking me, "Well, do I pick up all the order at once? If you're delivering it, is it going to be from all? Because there's a bunch of different, because each client." each market vendor has a, has a section on our catalog so they were thinking that maybe they were going to get many different deliveries because everybody it's <laughs> like no we're all going to be sending it at once don't worry so it's just new habits it's really strange yeah, yeah. but we're all healthy you're all healthy over there yep, I hope. we are tomorrow my husband has an appointment with his gp on the phone at 2.30. So we'll see. He's usually an hour and a half late. You go sit in his office. I wonder if he'll be on time when he calls you. <laughs> <laughs> That's very bizarre. Yeah, no, I've, uh, my daughter did one of those uh, online uh, doctor's appointments too. It's uh, it's pretty impressive. How I, I suspect that some things will continue online after this is over. Yeah. 
just because it does save people a little bit of time. You know, if you can do the in- initial triage online, you don't actually have to see some mm-hmm. people. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. But anyway, and, and so what I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, crafts, arts and crafts, because uh, we together are um, family history writers. We've been together, what, six years now, I think, with the Genealogy on Some group. And you're also a famous quilter. <laughs> Can wow. you talk a little bit about the two? Talk, talk about a bit about the two and then just tell me your the most proud uh, elements. Um, well, quilting, I've done for quite a, well, not even actually uh, seriously as long as I've been doing genealogy, but I've always sewed. You know, I learned uh, when I was a child, and my mother, my mother taught us to sew and knit and crochet and embroider, and she tried to teach us to tat, but... I guess I was the only one that eventually got that, but that was years and years later. And uh, we used to have a a woman who, um, a dressmaker, would come in twice a year to make clothes for us. She had worked for my grandmother, and uh, she would come to our house and sew sew on my mother's little um, Singer featherweight sewing machine. But... We wanted to, she would give us the scraps and help us to make dolls clothes and stuff. So that was where I really learned to sew. And for 20 years, I made most of my clothes. So, Oh, my gosh, that's such a great skill. Yeah, well, I've sort of given that up now. But <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it was around, uh, I made a quilt in the 1970s. From just, I had these scraps, and it took me about three years to finish it, and then I quilted it, and the actual quilting on it is absolutely terrible. I, but because it was my first one, I wouldn't take it apart. But um, then I joined a quilting guild, the West End Quilters in Montreal West, and that made you, before I used to think, oh, I'd like to make this quilt, I'd like to do that. And when you had other people to bounce ideas off, you suddenly decided, you know, got making them and encouragement and whatever. And so that's, um, that was about, well, 2005. So 15 years I've been doing quilting more seriously. So now that we're not doing anything, everything else has stopped. I've been doing quite a lot of quilting at home. (laughs) Luckily, I have a large stash of fabric. So I'm not going to run out in my lifetime, let alone now. So the um, quilting group was meeting online, just like Genealogy on some is. Um, oh, well, we have, no, we haven't exactly been meeting online, but, uh, you know, people post something, post pictures of what they're doing, and everybody comments. Um, we discussed having a meeting online, but then some people are not, uh, don't have the, Oh, they say, oh, they can't do it, and they're on this or that or the other thing. So that's still up in the air for a bit. Yeah, I guess if this goes on long enough, they'll figure it out. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, no. So one of the things that um, I think is really interesting is that you've taken your family history and you've used, you've written quite a few stories about your quilting experiences and uh, quilts that you have in your family. Um, and that's been really uh uh, I, I find it really interesting because it shows how 
generate, you know, crafts can actually connect generations. Well, they're just, yeah, the crafts, crafts that have gone through the generations. Whereas I think my, my grandmother was not very, um, didn't sew very much and was not certainly not crafty. One of them, the other one did a lot of knitting and crocheting and things like that. But, um, the, you know, my, my generation, like both my sisters and I really do lots of crafts and they're, we all quilt now. So we're sending each other back pictures back and forth of this is how much I've done. And this is this that I've done. And well, what's interesting about these kinds of crafts is they're so useful in daily life. I mean, they can actually be part of your routine once they're finished. What have you been done with some of your quilts? Well, um, well, some of them are on the bed. I made I made one for my husband, and it's it's not uh, we have a king size bed, but it's only a a single quilt. It's only on his side because I don't need all these <laughs> extra covers on me. So he has he has his quilt there, and we have uh, quilts at the cottage. But people always ask, oh well, do you sell quilts? And you say, well, no, um, because people are not willing to pay what they're worth you know, the time and money and effort in doing one. So we say we don't sell them, we give them away. So I've, I've given quilts to a number of people, and you know, all nieces and nephews and grandchildren and whomever have gotten baby quilts. Oh. And uh, they're fun to make because they're not so big and you can make them much more quickly. Right now I'm, I'm working on this one that's, it's at least queen size. And it's, it's just so awkward. I, I hand quilt. Most of the other people in my guild do machine quilting, but I prefer to do hand quilting. And so you quilt and you can watch TV. And I do it just on my lap rather than on a frame. Oh, okay. But so it's, it's you know, good when it's cold outside, you have this quilt. But it's, it's, this one is so big, it's just awkward to turn. And even to take off you and put in a chair, it's just this big, jumble pile in the in the chair you can't nicely fold it up when you're finished working on it but I thought it would take me years to quilt this one but it's it's getting almost finished oh, so. congratulations <laughs> actually um one of my uh, I guess my mother's best friend's daughter so however that she's like a cousin because I've seen <laughs> her in my life my whole life she made a quilt for my son who was first born which I then used for my daughter and it's one of the treasured artifacts in in our family because I don't quilt. So there's, mm -hmm. you know, having a handmade, like you say, the cost of, of actually paying for all of that labor would be extraordinary because it's a, it's so, so carefully done and so personal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, maybe, at, you know, maybe at some point people will appreciate that now, you know, uh, more people, what made you take up quilting in the first place? Like you, you had done many other crafts. What, what attracted you to quilting? Well, I've done all these crafts and, I, there used to be a McCall's magaz craft magazine and it had like all different kinds of things in and a number of times it had quilts and one was a um oh it was a what's it called it's not attic window anyways it's a sort of a complicated pattern and I thought oh this is beautiful I want to make that but once I'd made about two squares of that I decided I didn't really want to make that so the first one I made was really an easy four patch. And but it's after sewing, 
one of the things, even when you're making clothes, it's fun to go shop for fabric. So for quilting, you can just go and shop for fabric all the time, <laughs> even if you have nothing in mind to make, you know, you can, oh, this is really, I love this. And I, and then, you know, years later, you find it and you make something out of it. Or, you know, now when you're, not that there are very many quilt stores in Montreal anyways, lately we've been doing most of our shopping online anyways, but um, you can just go upstairs and say, okay, now I need to find something to finish this and I have to use something from my stash. So it's kind of fun to go look through all this fabric and go, well, I have really a lot of really nice fabric. I've got to continue making things out of it. <laughs> and that's the one thing about a quilt is it actually looks better if there are more fabrics, you know? I oh, mean, yeah. It's not like food or, um, or other things where, you know, three to five is actually, or gardening, you know, three to five is the best you know can, can uh -huh. I, it seems to me that if there's not at least five different fabrics in a quilt it, it doesn't look like a quilt yeah no and some of them you know I've made one I made a hexagon one which every hexagon was a different piece of fabric oh. but, except there were two the same in the whole thing and people yeah in the whole thing but they they didn't quite look they came from the same fabric and it was actually black on black I mean it was like gray on black, that a very you could hardly see the pattern, but that was the one that there were two of. <laughs> and, and and when it was hanging, we had it was hanging in well one of the quilt shows, and you know I'd written that there were two, and so all these people are standing there trying to figure out which two were the same. <laughs> well, that's a fun way. Did you give a prize for the person who got it right or something? You know? No, no, I don't think anyone actually did get it right. Yeah. Well, and you said that you participate in quilt shows. Um, what's that about? Because if you're not selling the quilts, what, what are you doing? Well, just for um, showing, you know, showing what we do. We've had, um, it's, you know, just our guild, and it's a small guild. Now we have about 20 members. We've had, you know, 25 is probably the greatest number we've had. And of those 20, we probably have 12 or 15 who come a lot of the time and now Janice Janice has joined and she's started quilting oh, but um, the genealogy of some every, group is going to extend to quilting too <laughs> yeah every three about three years we've had a show and so the 15 uh, say about 15 people had hundred over 100 quilts to exhibit wow so it's like but an it art show then yeah, it's like an art show, and just just to show people what you do, and uh, we uh, make a quilt quilt that we raffle off during the show. So. Um, oh yes, I remember buying raffle tickets, and didn't you give the money to a an organization too? Yeah, we we raise money and give it to you know some women's shelter. Um, we did one year to Elizabeth House to some different sort of women's charities, a little giving back to the community. We also do make uh, quilts for different organizations. Like at one time for Elizabeth House, we made baby quilts for the babies. We've been doing a fair amount of quilts of valor, quilts that they give to uh, soldier, wounded soldiers or um any people in the military who they figure might need a quilt. 
and this is Canada wide. And they, at the last Canadian quilt show, they started having these red and white with a little yellow um, quilt squares that everybody, one year it was one pattern and everybody made these squares and they put together quilts and they were doing some of them at the show so people could see what was doing. And I, I don't remember how many they actually made, but a great number. Oh, that's good. They were supposed to have another quilt show um, in Edmonton this July or June, which is cancelled. And uh, But people were making another pattern of quilt squares for that. And so I'd made 10 squares, and I figured that was all I would do. But since I've been home, <laughs> I've been making more, and you find, oh, some more red material or white material, and uh, I can just cut that up, and that'll make another couple of squares. And so you just keep making some more squares. So I don't know. I might have enough to make the whole quilt top myself. But um, Oh, congratulations. That will be cool. Well, that's, and, and you're probably not the only one, so they may actually end up making more quilts because of They it. might make, yeah. People might make, be making more quilts this time than last time, but uh, I hope they I hope they put some of them together at the show too because I know people really love seeing that. And what's interesting about quilts is they're coming back in fashion just for bedding as well because they're yeah. they're really good in terms of in the summer they're not too hot, but in the winter time they you can actually cuddle under them. It's yeah, you can make them out you know with wool batting or you know light very light cotton batting or silk batting or all kinds of batting, which gives you you know a different. A quilt for each season. <laughs> <laughs> Which you would need, actually, depending on... Uh, I mean, then you have an extra quilt, so your husband can be warmer oh, than we you. have many, <laughs> yes. We have many extra quilts, that's for sure. <laughs> and um, have you found that uh, uh, you've made new friends because of this activity? Well, sh yes. And uh, one of our favorite things to do as, as quilters is to go on a retreat. And we started... Um, with one, it was a, uh, from Friday night to Sunday afternoon. And we the first ones I went to were at the stables up on Grand Boulevard. Oh, okay. Well, there was a, a nunnery. And uh, it was, you know, you got there, you really got to know the, the people in the guild because normally you go to the meeting every, you know, every two weeks and it's for an hour and a half and you get to know people, but not that well. And uh, so on these retreats where you just go and they make the, the food for you and you just quilt and quilt and quilt. So. <laughs> and did you sleep overnight there or was it one of those yes. things where you went home? No, you know? no, you slept overnight. And lately we've been going to Hermitage Saint-Croix, which is way at the end of Grand Boulevard at Lens saint -Lorme, Oh, wow, okay. And it's beautiful. I mean, it's right on the water and they have all the, you each have your own little little room little nun room with your bed and a chair and a sink but we have a great big room where we all set up our sewing machines and and so and so if you're at home you sew for half an hour and then you go check your computer and then it's time to make lunch and then you need to do this and change the laundry but when you're at your the retreat uh you know you just from morning to night you sew and it, even if you take a break, everyone else continues. So you feel you've got to go back and sew. So you get <laughs> an awful lot done. And we've gone, we've gone um, extended from an, for another day. So we've started to go from like Thursday to Sunday. But now at at Lermitage Saint Croix, there are so there there are no nuns left. Oh. They used to have 
um, I don't know how many there. And so it was actually the nuns who, you know, did the, the cooking and did the cleaning and did everything involved in, in running this retreat center. But as they got older and older and there were no nuns, not, well, there, were, there was one the last time we were there. And another woman who is not a nun runs the thing. So she was saying that, you know, if they didn't have a big group, they weren't going to be open except for weekend retreats. So we had to, we had to cancel. Uh, once people are traveling again, it sounds like a kind of a cool place to, to have a, a, a bit of a, um, to get out of your life and do some sort of uh, soul searching if you want to. Mm-hmm. So that's neat. Um, and do you find, uh, I mean, because we've you're you've been doing writing family history. Were you writing before the fam- the genealogy on some group got together? Yeah, I was um a little bit. I mean, I I started I started writing, and I started um, because I started really doing genealogy around 1999, and when. I mean, I belonged to the family, Quebec Family History Society before that for a few years. And I go out there and look through their, you know, microfiche, birth marriages and deaths and print all this stuff out. And uh, and then at that time, writing to different um, uh, societies, asking my ancestors were from Bruce County and going getting in touch with the Bruce County Historical Society and whatnot getting information but it was in 2000 beginning of 2000 when the internet was um more active and at i had access at work that you started (laughs) getting i was on rootsweb.com that i first posted some queries about my family and a couple of days later, and this is like January 2000, this woman answered, and she she's about a third cousin once removed or something, and she had all the family history. Oh, wow. And you said Bruce County. Where is Bruce County? In, in Ontario? Or- yeah, in Ontario, like um, no, the north into like Owen Sound. Oh, so near Tober- Tobermory type, that peninsula. Yeah, okay. up in that peninsula. Okay. And... So a lot of the, the family had, had been there, and she had grown, this woman, Carol, had grown up there, and so she she had knew all some of the family stories and whatnot, so she was source of a great amount of information that I originally knew, but then you started through through her and uh, other cousins to uh, gather a whole lot of information, and I started to, to write stuff down, and I started. I started a book <laughs> called. What's your book about? They well, it's they chose Canada. My oh, okay. So I, so I got a, you know, I got a an introduction, and I got um, oh, into the sort of the first paragraph and deciding what I was going to do, and then when I I um, saw that they had a, a writing group. At uh, they st- just had started it at the Family History Society, but I was still working. So when I retired in, I was retired January 2013. So that's when I joined the uh, the writing group at the Family History Society and uh, have been writing ever since. And now some of the stories that you do are just hilarious. Like you have one story about chickens. <laughs> Is it chickens or turkeys? 
turkeys, 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 of course, for Thanksgiving. So can you tell, can, can you say a little bit about what inspired you? Because the interesting thing about you is you, you've got quite a dry wit about you. So your stories always have some sort of humorous anecdote. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, I found it, I had the Carol, this cousin, uh, had some of the letters that my relatives had written to, to her relatives. And they, my, um, my family had moved back from Bruce County, uh, back to Toronto, where they'd originally been when they first arrived in, Toronto, in Canada. And uh, so they were writing and asking for turkeys and saying, oh, how good the turkeys had been the last time and uh, send, them, send them to the, the store and how much they would pay. And so there were three letters and all of them, and amongst other things they say, mention turkey. <laughs> It's so funny. So I mean, you know, you thought this was really quite amusing, and my my siblings continue, you know. So I like wrote to them for something and said, you know, mention turkeys. And even this past Easter, two of my sisters said, well, they were cooking turkeys, and they were <laughs> and specifically saying, you know, we got to keep the turkey multi, you know theme going through our our letters and and emails <laughs> <laughs> so it's brought you've brought this uh, family tradition into the digital age <laughs> it's continued so, oh that's funny because yeah, we and, we uh, continue to like turkey too <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah it's one of those meals that's very sort of ca classic canadian traditions for yeah. holidays so um it is I mean, it's amazing what you can put together for turkeys. I'll put a link to that story in uh, in the show notes as well, so people can read it because it is a, quite a humorous little anecdote. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of your favorite stories that you've written? Well, a lot of a lot of my stories they they start with some little thing, and I like I you know I've written stories about my great grandmother's quilt that um, we had. And I've written stories about my, you know, tatting and my mother tatting and actually my great-grandmother tatted also. Uh, we should say what tatting is because some people won't know. Well, tatting is. is a form of lace making um, made with a, a little shuttle and through your fingers. I mean, some people think it's crocheting, but... But it's much finer, and uh, what do you use to tie? What, what, what material is it? It's well, you use a cotton thread, and the you. Some people use much heavier. Now they make jewelry and stuff out of it, and use quite heavy stuff. But a very uh, fine thread that you know makes very delicate little lace. Well, they probably tatted for forever, but in the late or early eighteen hundreds. It became fashionable, and they had, you know, very fancy shuttles. And the, all the shuttle is is something that you've wrapped the thread around, and you, um, it's basically not also knotting. You're making knots that slip on the thread, and that makes all the uh, all the little motifs. Yeah, and so then that way you can use it for decoration or for children's clothes or for. Yeah, yeah. You know, people used it well a lot on making handkerchiefs, edgings. And my mother um, 
which is in one of one of my stories. Uh, she made little ta- uh, hasty note cards. She well, she made the tatting, and they just cut these little flower, little flowers and things, and glued them onto note cards. And they made them for the um, Catherine Booth Hospital Auxiliary, and she did this for years. I mean, I think it's you know seventy or eighty thousand cards she was involved in. <laughs> wow. Wow, and this is these were just cards for the patients that people could get at the at the little tech shop, right? Yeah, they were sold at the at the in the little shop, and you know, people they were you know thank you notes and whatever, and people would would buy would buy these cards in a little package of of five of them. They made these for for years, and it was first it was my mother and another um, lady who who did it until she was well into her nineties. And then she'd say, oh, it's too bad I can't see very well anymore. But the ladies who worked on it afterwards were never as good as, as this woman, even when she couldn't see very well. <laughs> wow. Isn't that amazing? Just because I guess the manual dexterity, she managed to, to hold on to it. Yeah. And she, she made templates and she just to do the drawing and whatever. And so she you had these templates. She did the drawing and and the little pasting and and uh, she'd set up a table in her apartment and her husband wasn't well so he she was often home and she'd just do this and wow isn't that great and my mother would come over with a bat you know this envelope full of all the tatting she'd done and give it to her and uh, it's really a different kind of time eh when people are giving hand hand creating yes. creating basically pieces of art to give to each other Mm-hmm. And uh, but you're well, you're keeping the tradition going a little bit, a little bit, yes. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you're not. Uh, um, can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you've had in trying to uh, um, write some of your stories? Do you have a particular uh, particular time that was difficult? Um, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the ones I haven't written yet. I've, you know, I I get. Some little idea or, you know, I have a letter or I have a picture or I have something from the people and sort of, you know, work the story on that. Um, some of the more, um, lately I've sort of moved on to some of my relatives who um, came to Canada here in 1638, my eight times great grandparents. And because it's so easy to do their research in Quebec, you know their names and and whatnot, but it's a little more work trying to find more about them. But that's, um, I don't have any letters or pictures from them. Right. So now you're going to have to actually find some sort of documents or directories or historical. uh... What happened with with one of these? um, It was uh, Pierre Gaudois and Louise Manger. And there's a statue outside um, Marché Maisonneuve down in the East End of uh, La Fermière. And it is was modeled not on but sort of for Louise Manger. Oh, yes, I remember that story. That's a wonderful one. So, I mean, she has, you know, so there's this eight times great-grandmother who there's a statue in honor of her. It's interesting that you have a 
And you can always, you know, I mean, it's, I think I'm been lucky. You could sort of find some little thing about people. Yeah. Well, and, and the interesting thing about that is to have a statue of a woman is so unusual that, you know, you really get a sense of the kind of leader that she must have been to, to get that kind of. Tribute. Yeah. And you really, well, I mean, now I w- want to try and find out more about, about her, if there is anything, I mean, there's a bit more about her husband, but uh, she lived to be, I think, 92. Oh, wow. And, you know, one of the first, she wasn't, she's not on the, the statue of the first citizens of Montreal, but <laughs> they were living in Quebec City at the time. But uh, she was, you know, was here since the early eight, uh, 1640s. And uh, what was special about her? Why does she have a t- statue? Um, well, I think her, her husband was known as the first farmer. He was the first one to receive a land grant from de Maisonneuve in the, on, in Montreal, for Montreal. And so he was somebody uh, later called him the first farmer. And so she was the first farmer's wife. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, but he did, there's no statue to him. Well, he has, he has a little... Um, granite block in um, Place Duville, which is, I thought it was much bigger than it was, but it's only maybe, I haven't, I haven't actually gone to see it. I've only Googled it, but it's only maybe three feet high. And it looks more like a, a concrete block that blocks a, a road or, you know, something <laughs> rather than, and she's got this beautiful statue. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that says something about their characters, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> but you don't know. You haven't found any any documents about what she did or why people appreciated her so much. No, I haven't. I haven't found anything about her. Yeah, no, that it's a, it's amazing how uh, hidden women are in in some of the historical documents. But then her her daughter, um, who married Louis Prudhomme, and that was her daughter is. It's uh, one of their children who I descend from. She um, she owned property where her husband, who, who was a brewer and in the army and whatnot, never did. What's a brewer? A brewer. Beer. Oh, a brewer. Okay. Okay. He made. <laughs> so it- you know. So I mean, he was a business man and whatnot, and but the property is that I guess she inherited some from her father, but it went to her and not to her husband. Oh, that's interesting. So she was listed as the owner of property and he never, he was not. That's interesting too. And that was in the, also in the 1600s or by then was that 1700s? Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, still into the 16, into the 1600s. Yeah. And so that would have been under new France rules then. So, um, French uh, rules had tend to be more, uh, a more feminist oriented when it comes to uh, women owned property. Yeah, they were the the one place that that what allowed women to own property. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, it, what's interesting about writing these stories is you get to know about uh, historical norms too, and and how much they have actually changed over time and by country by country. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, that's an interesting uh, part too. But you know, now I mean, I. I'm sure we studied something about the history of Montreal, but, but now, you know, you're trying to really research because you have 
you're really a connection. I mean, you would have been so much more interested in school to know that, hey, you know, Rue St. Pierre, that's supposedly him, you know? Oh, really? That That is from your, uh, your ancestors? Yeah. Well, that's what they, I mean, they suggest. So have you finished your book yet or are you still working on it? No, no. Well, I sort of, um, I mean, all the stories will be added into the book. But um, I wanted to, you know, had started with the, the Sutherlands and like my great great grandfather. So I wrote something about him and then my great grandfather. And then I sort of branched out to other people. And uh, so, no, it's not, it's, it's not finished. <laughs> but it does lead on to the sort of natural last question. You know, because then you have all the pictures. You want to put pictures in and, and do stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, and now that you can do self-publishing, I mean, you have experience because we yeah. all did a book together, Genealogy or Beads in a Necklace. So mm-hmm. you know the uh, effort that it might take to put the book together. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's making you less, uh, more reluctant to get it done, I guess. Well, not really. I mean, I would like to do get something to to get all these stories together and because my you know when I was interested in genealogy and I tell my siblings you know oh did you know you know so-and-so lived here and died there and whatever and their eyes glaze over but when I had the stories and they'd say oh that's really interesting how did you know that and stuff like that so they read the stories but Certainly the facts were not interesting to them at all. Right. Yeah, no. I, well, that's the advantage of writing it into a story because it reads, especially because we're working so hard on making nonfiction read like fiction yeah. so that it's a natural flow from one from one portion of the story to the next. And so that the story has a theme that's, that anybody would appreciate whether or not that was their ancestor. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. Who it is. I mean, like yeah. this woman, uh, you know, a woman leader in the 1600s who who was so uh, admired that she had a statue. Anybody who walked by that statue would probably appreciate knowing a little bit about that woman. Mm-hmm. Like, so we will have to find out what she. We'll have to find out what her uh, role was that made her so appreciated. I'm sure there's a good story there. Yeah, there must be something. But I mean, the statue was just built. Was just done in. 1912 or something so I mean it was it was from stories of her I mean she'd been remembered back through the you know through the centuries so well that implies that there are documents to be found must be something there yeah 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 there's definitely documents to be found if uh, if it wasn't done till 1912 mm-hmm. so that's good oh that will give us a role for our uh, and and perhaps we'll have to do a genealogy on some retreat too yeah <laughs> <laughs> we, we can finally get some of our work done so because it is hard to sit down and write it's not hard to have written but sitting down and actually getting the story done is hard yeah at least I find it hard yeah but uh yeah no the the um the the, the fact that you're actually making about they they chose Canada um is sort of a goes right into the final question as uh do you consider yourself a Canadian and what does that mean to you well, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, why? And what does it mean? What? What? Do, how do you define Canadian? Well, um, I mean, I'm certainly, you know, of of Canada. Um, I I was born and raised, and not only you know 
a Canadian, a Quebecer, and a Montrealer. Um, I was born and raised here. Both my parents were born in Montreal. And, you know, some of one of my grandparents came from Switzerland. And so um, lately, well, it was actually one of my aunts used to, with her children, celebrate Swiss Day. But the last few years, my sister and I and my cousins have celebrated Swiss Day. So, <laughs> but that's our only... When is Swiss Day? When is uh, Swiss August Day? 1st. Oh, okay. And they, you know, supposedly have a parade and bang, bang pots and pans. But um, all my ancestors were here, or many of them, before 1850. So they were here before Confederation. And they came from Scotland and Ireland, and, and then I had these French Canadians who came from France in the 1600s. But they never, like all my like, Sutherland ancestors, never seemed to talk that much about, you know, the old country that they were Scots and whatever. They came here. You know, it's not like, oh, this is, you know, this came from Scotland or, or Ireland or we always celebrate St. Patrick's Day because we didn't because we were Protestant. <laughs> <laughs> and they wouldn't have celebrated St. Patrick's Day. But they did. Um, so I think they embraced Canada, embraced a new country and uh, a, new, a new way of life because it was a different life than they had where they had come from. And so I think that, you know, you sort of, proud of the people they were to have left everything and, and come here and proud of what they've made of the country. Uh, that's uh, interesting because you've, uh, you've had to actually consider that a couple of times in, in Quebec too, because Quebec has actually had referendums since uh, in, in your lifetime, several. Yes. And so um, yeah. can you talk a little yeah. bit about um, how you, see your role here? Well, I see my role as an Anglo in Quebec. Like, Quebec is not just the French Canadians. And even though, you know, I do have French Canadian ancestors, and my, my family, who were originally in Quebec and were French, sort of all became English, like my, my grandmother's uh, generation mostly married she married a a french man from switzerland but most of her siblings married english people and the family kind of flipped over and became english but they were still the the deep roots in quebec and it's not um i mean the french language certainly is important but so are the english and uh you know that uh we didn't we didn't leave when the separatists, you know, René Levesque and the separatists came in, we stayed in Montreal, and uh, we probably uh, plan to stay forever. So <laughs> it's true, it's true. So, and it's uh, what, what's interesting about um, being Canadian in Quebec is that it does feel a little bit like being a rebel. Yeah, because the the general discussion is not necessarily about Canada; it tends to be more about Montreal or about Quebec. Uh, they're you know 
Canada, Canada tends to be a uh, an easy crush for, crutch for people to blame on things. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, and and I mean, as you look into your ancestors and as you uh, develop and improve a craft that has been in your family through generations, it must give you a little bit of a connection to some of your four forebearers four, uh, yeah forebearers i never understand what that yeah <laughs> um and and i mean another thing that you've done is you've really put an accent on some of the women in your family which is also uh, mm -hmm. more difficult to do than finding things about the men so yeah i think that's worthwhile too mm -hmm. is there anything that i didn't ask you about that you were hoping to talk about uh no not really <laughs> <laughs> well thank you very much i really appreciate your time oh you're welcome thank you thank you for listening to unapologetically canadian this episode was brought to you by profileyourancestors.ca Slots asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.